Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Magician Nelson Lugo. Hi, I'm nerdcore rapper Shafer the Dark Lord. We're best friends who hate each other's guts. And we co-host the Epic Podcast. A monthly show in which we discuss comic books, video games, television, movies, our debilitating emotional problems, and Batman. So much Batman. That's the Epic Podcast on the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Be safe, internets. Bye. Seriously, so much Batman. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom. From comics and video games to science and technology, if it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap, and in this episode, I'm sharing a one-on-one panel I did at Heroes Con 2017. Heroes Con is a fantastic comic convention held annually in Charlotte, North Carolina. And one of the things that sets it apart from better-known conventions is that its focus is actually just comic books. As a result, some of the biggest names in the industry, writers and artists alike, come out to this modestly-sized show. It pulls in modern masters and more than a few legends. For instance, someone I wasn't sure I'd ever have the privilege of meeting, a longtime artistic hero of mine, Gerhard. If you're not familiar with his name, you might be familiar with the names that his is usually said in conjunction with. Dave Sim and Cerebus the Aardvark. And if those names mean nothing to you, well, don't worry, I'll give you a primer. I know how things go when I take our show down certain niche rabbit holes. They're not for everyone. But maybe if comic books, especially ones outside the mainstream, aren't your spice, perhaps you'll stay for some great behind-the-scenes stories from a master of illustration. So, Cerebus the Aardvark. It's the longest-running independent comic of all time, and arguably the most important independent comic of all time. It started life as a sword and sorcery parody with a short barbarian aardvark raising hell a la Conan. Over 300 issues and 6,000 pages, the book evolved into a fascinating, tear-jerking, and hilarious tale about the march of civilization, loss, existence, religion, and countless other lofty topics while pushing the medium of comic books forward, in both artistry and format. Alan Moore once wrote, Cerebus, as if I need to say so, is still to comic books what hydrogen is to the periodic table. Cerebus ran from 1997 to 2004, and this is its 40th anniversary. The series was created by artist and writer Dave Sim, but at issue 65, he brought in Gerhard, a great illustrator in his own right, to do the backgrounds for the comic. That might sound like a superfluous addition, but as the drama of the comic increased, Gerhard's gorgeous detail and architectural presence helped to further anchor 
the talking aardvark into this very real world. Howard the Duck, Hepcats, Blacksad, along with Cerebus, these are just a few examples of how anthropomorphic animals serve as powerful foils to tell poignant stories. In many ways, more impactful than what could be done with humans. The realism of Cerebus's world was a key point to making sure both the drama and the comedy worked. Getting into Cerebus is a heck of a commitment, and depending on your taste for barbarian stories, might have a bit of a rough start as the book evolves from a very specific genre parody into something much, much more. But it's a book that I wholeheartedly recommend to anyone with a love of powerful storytelling and illustration. So, suffice it to say, I was thrilled to have the chance to sit down with Gerhard and ask all of my burning questions about what he and Dave Sims' collaboration process was like, as well as Gerhard's new project with Grant Morrison and some tips and tricks of the trade. To start things off, I wanted to solve a mystery that I'd never bothered to find the answer for myself. Where did Gerhard come from and how did he get involved with Cerebus? I lived in Kitchener, Ontario, which is where Dave and I did the book all those years. I was in and out of high school quite a few times. I would, you know, I'd go, school sucks, I would quit and I'd get a job. I'd go, working sucks, I'd quit, I'd go back to school. <laughs> um, so I didn't, needless to say, I didn't do very well in high school, but I did spend the entire time drawing. I had three notebooks. Two of them were for the curriculum subjects, like math and science and English, which had nothing in them. And my third notebook was crammed full of blank paper that I would just doodle on until they were all full, and then I would throw them away and I would uh, fill the notebook back up with paper and start doodling again. And my friends would, would uh, come in behind me and, and dig the drawings out of the, the garbage and, and keep <laughs> any ones that they liked. I went through a string of uh, crappy jobs working in factories and slowly worked my way into more art-related things. I ended up working at the local art supply store, the big art supply store, appropriately named the Art Store. And, Concise? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no confusion there. And I was doing the, the deliveries. At that time, you could order supplies, and, and the store would actually send out a delivery car. And Dave was on my, my route. And at the time, I was doing uh, whatever commercial work I could get on the side. Um, I remember one assignment I had from this ad agency. They wanted me to draw a frozen beef pie using pointillism okay. and make it look delicious. <laughs> right on. I'm, I'm right on that. So yeah, I, I drew a lot of tires and things like that. And I'd done a whole bunch of pieces, pen and ink with watercolor on them that were uh, like still life or landscapes and things like that. And I was putting those together into a show, selling as many pieces as I could in whatever shows that I could get them into. And any pieces that hadn't sold were hanging up on my walls at home. And at uh, one of the many parties we used to have at my place, Dave saw the artwork that was on the walls, and I knew he was doing a comic because I was delivering the, the gray dots that he <laughs> used for, uh, for Cerebus. And uh, Archie Goodwin at Epic Magazine had asked Dave if he'd be interested in doing some color stories. And Dave wasn't big on color, so uh, when he saw my stuff, he said, if he lays out the page, could I do this kind of stuff in behind? And I said, well, let's give it a try. And that was Cerebus' first fifth, and that's my first published work in Epic Magazine, and we started doing conventions. Dave would do a quick Cerebus sketch, and I would do a quick background behind it and color it up, and we would auction it off there at the table, right? We'd start the bidding at a dollar, and uh, then it would, you know, go up to two, and then five, and then ten, and then twenty, and it's like, and it would sell, like, for, like, 
25 or 30 dollars and this is back in the mid 80s right so this is yeah and uh, real money this is real money <laughs> and there's like quick do another one <laughs> so we started doing that and then uh, not too long after dave asked me to take over the background and other duties on the monthly book and the rest as they say is history i've always been curious about what you guys' process was collaboratively especially starting out and how it developed because it's a rather unusual thing to have a background artist in comic books. Right, so, right. So what well, was that like? Well, it worked out that way because Dave, he was self-publishing, right, for the yeah. first uh, 64 issues, all by himself, doing everything. And his backgrounds were kind of disappearing. He would do sort of one establishing shot, and then it was a whole lot of solid black or solid white in behind the characters. Because he, he was more interested in the writing and, and drawing the characters, right? And once you're done drawing the characters, you know, a lot of the times you're pretty much done with the page. Once you've laid it out and put the lettering on there and drawn the characters in, it's like, I'm done, you know, this is good. Right, yeah. And what I was doing at the time was like basically a lot of scenery type stuff or architectural stuff. And like I took drafting in grade nine in high school. That was the, the limit of, uh, of my experience with that. What was, so, what was drafting like in taught in high school? Because I, I, I never encountered anything like that in my school. Anymore. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it was just sort of an introductory to drafting, very basic doing uh, front-end elevations and well floor plans, right? So just your basic architectural blueprint floor plan and front-end elevations, which is basically looking at a building straight on with no perspective, yeah. right? but everything's drawn to scale. I mean, that helped a lot with the architectural part of it. Since Dave was already self-publishing and doing all that other stuff, and the only thing he didn't like doing was the backgrounds. He didn't care for perspective stuff. And it was interesting. Once he realized that I liked doing perspective, it was like, oh, he likes doing that. It was like, more, okay, more of that, right? But it's also some other interesting things. That, like, it, it's interesting that the Black Tower yeah. that's all made of those little demon heads and skulls, that didn't become a major character in the book until I was the one that had to draw it, right? Right. <laughs> there were hints of it and little bits of it or whatever, but all of a sudden it started appearing like, you know, in every issue and in, in its entirety or, you know, it's like more skulls, more demon. And I was trying all sorts of different things. Over the years, we always tried all sorts of different things that, that would hopefully speed up the process. Mm. And, you know, it never did. You always, <laughs> you always end up spending all this time. Like I, would try, I tried to make demon head and skull tone. Like the dots that are on Cerebus, in Canada they were called Letritone, down here they call it Zipatone, different yeah. company, same thing. So it, it's on a self-adhesive sheet that you cut out and then you trim away the excess and then you have all your dots. But you could buy a blank sheet of that, that you could run through the photocopier. Yeah. So I do a, a master drawing or I would take sections of ones that I had already done and I sort of pasted them together and then photocopied that onto the onto the sheet and I would cut that out and stick that down and, and trim it off. And it just, it never worked. It was never as good as wow. you know, drawing it originally. <laughs> but we always tried these little tricks and stuff to try to make things go faster. And usually you were just better off drawing the damn thing. <laughs> well, what would you receive from Dave? Like, would you be working like in okay. a studio together? Or? Yeah. When uh, we first started, he had a studio and office space in this building called the Medical Arts Building. I guess it used to be uh, all dentists and doctors in there and stuff. There was a studio on the third floor and the office was on the sixth floor. The studio was a fairly long, rectangular room. He had the drawing table next to the window. Mine was about three quarters of the way back in the room. So we worked in fairly close proximity. There were 20 nails, 21 nails on the, on the wall with those little bulldog clips. 
One was for the cover, the other 20 was for each page of every issue. So when he was done with the page, he would hang it up on the wall. And then I would take it down, take it to my drawing board. I usually worked on the two facing pages simultaneously, because that's mm. what you see when you open the book. And it used to drive him nuts, because I would put those two pages on the drawing board, and then I would do this. At this point, Gerhard is looking at the sketch he's been working on, with his hand contemplatively on his chin. For about... 10, 15 minutes or whatever. <laughs> and he's at his drawing board scratching madly away and then looking over at me going, what's he doing? This is a monthly book. We have a schedule to maintain here, right? And I'm just... So when I got the pages, any panel borders, word balloons, sound effects, and characters were all fully inked, mm. right? But they're just on an otherwise blank piece of paper. And so I'm sitting there and I'm looking at which direction the light is coming from on the characters and then trying to figure out if he's got two characters in the panel together. Cerebus is supposed to be three feet tall. That's awfully short. He was sort of, his size varied yeah. uh, in, in the book. Sometimes it varied according to how well he was doing personally in the book. If, if he was doing good, he was more like four feet tall. <laughs> if things weren't going so, going so well for him, then he'd be more like three feet tall. But I would have to figure out where the horizon line would be for those two characters to work together, yeah. right? So that was always the first thing. Which direction is the light coming from? Where would the horizon line be? How much solid black can I get away with? And how do I get this two pages done by the end of the day? Right? <laughs> Dave usually worked far enough ahead of me so that I could see if something was coming up, like a, like a splash page, right? And then Dave would have sketches in his notebooks so he could say, this is what this page, you know, right. what I've got in mind for this page. And that would have the backgrounds. And it would have, a, yeah, just yeah. A, a rough indication, right? Yeah. Sometimes he would just draw, like if Cerebus was behind a table or whatever, he would just draw a straight pencil line where Cerebus ended, right? Yeah. If there needed to be a window somewhere because it was going to be used later in the, in the story, mm. he'd draw a rectangle and write window or right, something like yeah. this. But Dave uh, always said that the backgrounds were completely up to me. I could put the interior of a submarine in there if I wanted to. And uh, so more often than not, sometimes if Dave did rough something in, I would usually end up erasing most of it and, and correcting the perspective and, and just starting over yeah. with the way I think it should have been done, right? So the character of the landscape effectively became your entire domain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty tremendous. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it was pretty intimidating at first, too, because I'm basically working on Dave's finished art here. Yeah, right? yeah. So if I screw this up, I, it's over. I, you know, he's... Am I going to have to get him to redraw what he's just done? It's like, how much is that going to suck, right? So, yeah, I was pretty nervous about it the first few pages and the first few issues. But then, uh, you know, things started to, to come together a little bit more. And by Jacka's story, which was, uh, when I jumped in, uh, it was like sort of halfway through the second volume of Church and State is when I came on board. Yeah. So everything was sort of already established, right? And I had to refer back a lot to what... Dave may have done with certain settings or whatever. But with Jacka's story, it was great because I started doing a whole bunch of sort of pre-production drawings, floor plans and all this kind of stuff. And I gave Dave all of those when they were done. Right? So mm. I think we spent like an entire month just getting ready for Jacka's story. We didn't produce an issue that month. <laughs> we, we got geared up for Jacka's story. We worked out all the... Uh, or I worked out all the locations and stuff. Jacka's apartment was actually based on... Uh, the first apartment that Dave and Denny had. Um, so he described it to me and I, I worked out a floor plan. And so just the, the basic layout was based yeah. on, on their apartment. 
but that was cool because then I had everything, I had that whole little um, environment there all pre-planned and I had all my floor plans. When I got the page from Dave, I could see the relative position of the characters and if they're moving around, I can see where, or if the camera has moved around, you know, I just would get my little floor plan. I would mark a circle for Cerebus and an X for Jack or whatever. So if he, Cerebus is standing here and Jack is there, the camera would have to be here and this is what you would see behind them. Yeah. Right? And uh, that floor plan was never published like in the back of the book or anything. And somebody very carefully observed all the different camera angles and what you could see and he, in, in the letter that he sent. Uh, he said the, the, the wood box in the kitchen was the, the key because you could see that from uh, out in the other room, from the living room and stuff. So if, if he knew that if you could see the wood box from here in the kitchen and from here in the, the living room, right, <laughs> that it must be there. And he sent me the floor plan. He, had, <laughs> he, he worked out from all the different camera angles. He drew me the floor plan and said, how close did I get? And it was bang on. So that, that was very That's impressive. Awesome. Yeah. How deep in the service did that happen? Was that like right after Jack's story or was that like... That was during, yeah. During, during oh, wow. Yeah. So right, yeah, right, like right near the end of Jack's story right, where she was, she ended up in jail at the end of yeah. the, the story. So I think while that was actually being published, he sent the letter in with the floor plan of the apartment. <laughs> so, yeah, it was very cool. And then things like Dave had drawn Jacka going to work, right? So she's going from her apartment over to Pud's Tavern and he's got the light falling on her face, right? Mm. And then later in that issue, or in, even in the next issue, she's coming back from work, and he's drawn the light falling on her face, right? Mm. So I draw the shadow falling behind her, because it, to me it'll look weird. If, if he's got the light coming on her face and I have the shadow going out in front of her, that's just not going to fly, right? Mm, yeah. But somebody wrote in and said, if she's going to work in the morning and the shadow's going this way, when she's walking home, shouldn't the shadow be going the other way, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, all right, we have to pay a little bit more attention here, I guess. Those are some diehard fans. They're, yes, yeah, <laughs> you got to watch out for those. <laughs> I mean, I knew that there were some intense cerebites out there, but I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. another level. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think, you know, you spend all this time and trouble doing stuff, and you think, nobody's going to notice this. And then you get a letter like that, and you go, oh, shit. Okay. They're actually noticing That's this. That's it. I, yeah. You put the fear into me. I'm always going <laughs> exactly, to be yeah. aware of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned the threat of making some kind of catastrophic mistake. Did that ever happen where, like, oh, you start from scratch? No, never had to start from scratch. No, at least I didn't have to get Dave to start from scratch. There was a page that I scrapped, but it was all, actually all, all it was was this tiny little silhouette of Cerebus on that chunk of throne room when he's hurtling mm. through space. So it's just a tiny little, uh, and I was, Dave wanted a big explosion. He wanted a giant explosion in space, right? And the first one I drew is just, it was way too cartoony and, 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 and I had smoke and stuff. And there's, no, you know, there's no smoke in space, there's no flames, there's no, you know. It's a vacuum. What does an explosion look like in a vacuum? So I actually went to the library and I looked up nuclear testing that they had done in the upper atmosphere and in orbit and whatnot. It's like, and it's just basically a big ball of gas, right? Yeah. Of plasma. I was like, well, that's not very interesting either, is it? So anyway, I scrapped the page and I redrew it as this giant ball of light with this sort of halo of uh, debris coming out from it. And I just photocopied his little silhouette of the Cerebus <laughs> on the block and I pasted that on... But one time, and I think Dave had gone to a signing or something, because I don't think he was in the studio at the time, and I was inking the page, and I spilt a blob of ink that landed right on Weishaupt's face. And I'm like, oh, fuck. 
<laughs> and I've let the ink dry completely, right? Yeah. And I very carefully scraped off as much as the ink as I could. But in the process, of course, I've, I've scraped off some of Dave's line work. And there's still this gray haze, right? Yeah. So then I very carefully put a layer of... Uh, the thinnest layer of white out and even as I possibly could. And because it was like one half of his face, basically all I had to do was copy this, do a mirror image of this half right. over here. And I just very carefully tried to, and then when he came back the next day or whatever, I told him what happened. I said, you know, if you need to redo that or scrape off the white out and do it yourself, you look at it, no, it's fine. <laughs> at some point we're going to talk about the last day and the nightmare of drawing the room again and again and again. But prior to the last day, what did you find to be the most challenging moments to create in terms of your work in service? To come up with the initial idea or to have to draw over and over and over again? <laughs> Both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, here's one thing I regret. You know, the throne room, the one where uh, Serapis and Siren ultimately have that battle, the one that all blows up and stuff. When we were first there, I thought it would kind of be neat to have like a highly polished floor and that you know everything would be reflected in the floor. Mm. Boy, did I regret that. <laughs> if, if I had known just how long we were in, how often we were going to be in that throne room and that we were going to come, be coming back to it again and again, and it's like, oh man, put some carpeting down. <laughs> <laughs> so those kind of conversations didn't typically happen. As to... Well, I guess that one was my fault or something. Usually we were pretty good about that. I would ask him how long, you know, is, is this a recurring location? Or he would let me know that we're going to be here for a while. Yeah. But I guess, I don't know, maybe the, the throne room just became a location that was more important than Dave thought it was or something. I don't know. But that was one of the few where it's like, man, I would have done this differently had I known we were going to be here for as long as we were. Now, just for a little extra context, because I know we've been mentioning specific volumes of Cerebus by name, one of the unique things about Cerebus is that it chronicles substantial chunks of the life of its main character up to the point of his death. In the final volume, The Last Day, we see the entirety of Cerebus's final day alive over the course of 12 issues, most of which takes place in a single room. But what I'd forgotten was that wasn't exactly a unique situation for the book. In two earlier volumes, Guy's and Rick's story, both those largely took place in the same bar. You mentioned the last day room. You know, that one wasn't that much of a problem compared to the, the bar in Guy's and Rick's story. Again, I knew, I knew we were going to be there, but one of the problems with that location was that, so in the story, this bar is basically a, a, a place that the, the Syrianists have allowed to exist so that men can go there to drink themselves to death, right? So it can't be a fun, happy place, right? There can't be posters on the wall, you know, and there can't be... It's just basically like a dungeon where you can drink yourself to death. <laughs> and what a boring thing to draw for two and a half years or however long we were there. So there's a page where um, Dave comes into the bar yeah. in the story and sits down and tells Cerebus that he'd be surprised if he's driving nuts by staying in one place for so long, meaning me. So <laughs> when, you, when you see the page, I've got a photocopy of... I photocopied my pencil and pasted it on there along with my ruler and I have my floor plan of the bar uh -huh. and you can see the, the, the bar stools and so if Dave's sitting on this bar stool and Cerebus is standing there, the camera angle would be from here, right? And I've got all the issue numbers that we were stuck in this bar and I've got me, I've got the bar exploding from the outside and the bottles are all being wrecked <laughs> and there's a, there's a ship in a bottle and that screen face in the bottle and an exit signs and rifles pointing at his head 
and uh, all this is happening behind Cerebus, right? And in the next panel, David said a long time ago in the interview that I could do the interior of a submarine if I wanted to, so I put the interior of a submarine in behind him, and then he turns around and it's all back to normal. <laughs> so that, Rick's, that bar was definitely more of a slog than the last day room was. Because that one was, because it was much later, I mean, it was at the end of the story, and I already, I had a proper 3D computer program that could, that I did the floor plan on was that. Was that the first time you'd done that? Uh, with that, oh, that was still with that 3D home architect. It was still a pretty primitive program as far as uh, con what computers could do now. Sure, yeah. Like SketchUp? Oh my God, if I had that. <laughs> but yeah, so I laid it out on the computer and, and you can, on the floor plan, you can position the camera. Yeah. And then you hit render. And back then, you had a little hourglass thing would spin and spin and spin, and you could go make a coffee or something and come back, and you would have your, have your 3D, rare, very primitive outline 3D rendering, right? Yeah. But at least it was better than, uh, it was still quicker than, than me doing it in my head. <laughs> the one thing, though, with the, the last day, I don't know if, uh, if you realize that the, the covers hmm. of the monthly issues for the last day all fit together, and it's one 360-degree pan around the room. Oh wow! I didn't buy any issues. So. If you ever, if you ever find the uh, the covers, of course, this always happened with Dave too. Like, the pan sort of gets interrupted for one issue because Dave drew the same, you know, you know, he didn't continue the pan around the room. He's like, "What are you doing now? Like, You're wrecking my pan here, dude! You know, you know how long it took me to figure this thing out?" <laughs> These uh, were all done 11 by 17 pieces of paper. Right? Yeah. So when I'm laying these 12 things out to make sure that they all match up, I had to put them out in the hallway, right? Because it was a <laughs> very interesting experiment. Yeah, and then Dave goes and, and, and wrecks the pan around the room. So I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, most recently, you've been working with Grant Morrison. Yeah, yeah, well, I've been getting the occasional script by email. I, I, it's funny when you say work with, right? I get a script sure. in, by email, and that's... That's working with Grant Morrison, I guess. I mean, have you had that relationship with a creator before? No. Remotely? No. no. It, it is interesting to go with, you know, working in the same room with somebody for 20, <laughs> 20 years yeah. and then getting the occasional email with a script. Yeah. How exactly did that project come about? I was at a convention in Madison, Wisconsin, and Jeff Krillitz, the co-CEO, came up to the table and said that Grant's looking for somebody to illustrate this story, and would I be interested? And it's like, hell yes, it's heavy metal, it's Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a really interesting story. It's The Smile of the Absent Cat, which is a quote from uh, Albert Einstein about Schrodinger's cat. I don't know if you the thought experiment yeah. about Schrodinger's cat. Dead or alive. Or dead like... and alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of sounds like the Cheshire Cat as well. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's what uh, Einstein was alluding to. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very loaded quote. I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. That's great. Oh, well, it's Grant Morrison. Everything's loaded, right? Everything right, has yeah. like two or three meanings or whatever. It's, <laughs> it really is an awesome script. I, I hope I get the rest of it someday. It's based on this guy, Lewis Wayne, who was uh, around the turn of the last century, late 1800s, early 1900s, did these anthropomorphic cat paintings and drawings, right? I guess nobody had done this before. Huh. You know, cats golfing and, and fishing and, and whatever, and people just went crazy for it. It was hugely popular, postcards and prints and, and whatnot. Does this predate the dogs playing poker? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but same basic idea, yeah, it's like cats playing poker, and people are going, oh my god, oh, oh, whimsical. Would you, would, you, would you look at some, I've never seen such a thing. But then Louis Wayne went a little loopy, ended up in an insane asylum, and uh, so what uh, Grant Morrison has done is take 
Louis Wayne's Catland that he created, and it's fallen into a dystopian state because uh, Catland's creator has gone insane. Oh, and this wow. is sort of the kick, kicking off point of the story. Wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be interesting. I hope I get the rest of the script someday. <laughs> the first 16 pages have, have been done. The, in two of the issues of Heavy Metal, there's two chapters. So that has you drawing characters? Everything, yeah, everything, yeah. And you're sketching service right now, and it's, I mean, there it is. So, like, everyone knows you as the background guy. Yeah. Well, that started because when I started doing conventions again, it's like, who wants a sketch of a chair, right? <laughs> People used to ask me what I did for a living. I said I draw walls and chairs behind aardvarks, and that would shut them up, and then I didn't have to explain anything anymore. Please do not talk to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, when I started doing conventions and people would ask, you know, can you do me a sketch? It's like, well, sure, what would you like a sketch? I was like, well, Cerebus. I was like, okay, you realize I didn't draw the characters. And they're like, yeah, and they didn't care. They want a Cerebus, right? But let's see how you do a Cerebus. So I started doing them. They don't look exactly like Dave's. So I started calling them Garibuses. <laughs> and that way they can look like any way. It's not a Cerebus, it's a Garibus. I can do whatever I want with it, right? <laughs> That's fantastic. So... Prior to this Grant Morrison work, have you, have you done? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Much in the way of character drawing or no, no, not no? really. Uh, my wife Shelly, she wrote a little uh, children's story, mm. and when she read it to me, went, "Oh wow, I have to draw that." It's just, I could picture it while she was reading it to me, and. Uh, after Cerebus was done, there was a lot of catching up to do on things. And then I basically just curled up into a ball for about five years. I did, hardly did any drawing. I was totally burnt out and uninspired. But when Shell read me the, her little story there, that was actually the first time I'd laid something out, you know, with characters and, and, and from start to finish yeah. sort of thing. So that, that, that got the ball rolling again, which was great. In drawing something with the level of detail that fans you know know you for with the backgrounds and all that but then also working that at the characters has that been an interesting okay well yeah what i said before about you know usually once you've uh, laid out the page and and uh, drawn the characters i find myself doing that now too it's like yeah. you know i got the layout it word reads well where the word balloons are i got the characters in there i'm done who wants to put the backgrounds on this thing ah you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit it's me again <laughs> Uh, basically, so I, I, you know, I, I put on my Dave Sim hat, right? <laughs> do, do the Dave Sim thing. It's like, okay, Gary, take over. It's like, oh, <laughs> with your work with that level of meticulous detail, like I do a lot of cross hatching work. I do a lot of pointillism work, right? And I'm always amazed at how there's comfort in that monotony and so on. But I know that for me, I was never specifically taught any of that, but. Right. Um, but we never, never studied anybody who was actively doing that. And it sounds like you were somewhat self-taught as well. 
Oh yeah, completely. Like in high school, again, like I was in and out of high school, I had to take grade 10 art three times before I passed it because I either kept leaving school or because the curriculum was divided. The first half of the year was drawing and painting, which was fine. Second uh -huh. half was ceramics and sculpture. Not so fine. My project blew up in the kiln and wrecked everybody oh. else's. <laughs> and I would never show up for art history. The art teacher was kind enough to announce that, okay, for the next two weeks, we're going to be doing art history. And I'd go, great, see you in two weeks. <laughs> I got this book called Rendering in Pen and Ink. Another very appropriate title. Right, yeah. And it just has like all the old time masters, right? And, and it's all about techniques. And you flip through it, you go, that's the stuff. Yeah. That's what everybody's trying to do, you know? So you just, you, I mean, you just emulate the stuff that appeals to you and then try to make it your own, right? So then you find yourself really craving that self-instruction. Like you would turn to a book rather than you'd be like, school, whatever. Yeah, I guess so. Because I was going to enroll in the... Uh, Sheraton College in Oakville, Ontario, has a very well-known animation course. I always loved mm. animation as well. But they wanted money and stuff, and I didn't have any of that. <laughs> there was also a graphic arts course at the local community college that I actually got accepted into. And then it was like, what's the Groucho Marx line about wanting to be a part of anything that I'd be invited to or something? Like, I don't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. <laughs> yeah, I ended up not going to the graphics art which again, I don't know, in a lot of ways, like would it have been beneficial or would I have just started drawing like everybody else? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that's troubling. I know like, it took me like three or four years to fight my way out of learning what I'd learned in college. Unlearning, yes. yeah, right. And, and like everyone mentions it, but I feel underplays how real that is. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> that's really phenomenal that you've, you've pulled all of your skills from your own hard work and effort, but also a book of masters. That's, that's There's great. another one too called it. Painter with a Pen. Get it, or at least rent yeah. it, or you know, borrow it from the <laughs> library or whatever. But there, you gotta look at that one. Cool. Painter with a pen. <laughs> the line work, you know, all the different textures and levels of gray and stuff. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Dave was very much a black and white guy. He was also a, a, an incredible chameleon. He could imitate and mimic and copy and reproduce so many different styles, right? And I just sort of draw the way I draw, right? Yeah. And he would show me stuff. He'd say, you know, look how, how Bernie Wrightson did it. Look how, you know, Jones did it. Look how, you know. So, and I would go, wow, yeah, that's awesome. And I'd sit there and do all my millions of little lines again, right? So he was very much a black and white. And I'm sort of a 500 shades of gray. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> In cross-hatching and background development like that, what do you think is the most important thing that people don't realize about creating depth in that kind of work? Hmm. That's interesting. Oh. What do you think? <laughs> Not overdoing it. <laughs> Not <laughs> like overdoing starting, it. Yeah. Starting light and, and, and then oh, like that, yeah, yeah. your breath as you get darker. Right. Okay, yes. Usually what I would do is, Dave called it spotting solid blacks. Figure out where your areas of solid black are going to be, right? Mm. And, and put those down. Okay. So that, that anchors the page. There is your darkest yeah. black value. And then figure out where your lightest white is going to be and leave those alone right yeah and then just uh, you slowly build up those layers from that white to the black you have to sort of decide especially on a monthly schedule too how many values you're going to be working with here right yeah so yeah usually i would i, I would try to keep it to three or four <laughs> right <laughs> but dave even said like he didn't really see the pages as they were being drawn because you know we, we were sitting a fair distance away but if I went upstairs and, you know, I had to uh, do, because we were running the office too, like we were mm -hmm. running the publishing company. So there might be times I'd have to go up to the office to help the secretary with something or whatever. And he'd come over and see how things are going, right? 
or at the end of the day, I would hang it up, and then the next day I would look at it and go, nope, needs one more layer of, of gray or whatever. Yeah. And he would say, like, you know, to himself, he's going, what, what's he doing? It was, that was done. That was fine. You know, and I hang it back up and you, and you look at it and go, oh, yeah, no, no, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he was doing. All right. And Shelly has said the same thing, too. She'll see how the page is progressing and stuff. And she'll, you know, look at it out of the drawing board and go, wow, you know, that's, that's great. And I said, yeah, almost there. And she's going, what do you mean almost there? That's done. And I'll sit down, you know, turn the page, one more, one more thing. And, and she'll go, oh, yeah, all right, you were right. <laughs> wasn't quite done, was it? How has your process changed since you've been doing the uh, the heavy metal project? You mentioned some software for layouts, so I assume right. you've been experimenting with new methods of getting that dimensionality? Not so much for the dimensionality, just for the, the basic layout, helping okay. me with layout. What I did with the second chapter of Absent Cat was I just I took a piece of sketch paper, just a regular 8.5 by 11 sketch pad, mm. and I would just sketch out page one, panel one, and I would just sketch out that panel. I didn't care what the relative size was on, it, it was going to yeah. be on the page or whatever, right? I would just start sketching. And it's like, okay, there's panel one. For the entire eight and a half by 11? Yeah. Okay, like, so and I didn't care if, if, if my sketch ended up being this big on the eight and a half by 11, that's fine. There's, yeah. there's my sketch. If it took up the whole page, that's my sketch. Right, right on, okay. But one sheet per panel. So then the, I, on the next sketch pad I would sketch out panel two and then panel three panel four and then I scanned all of those in and then I resized them so that they fit on Ooh, the page okay <laughs> right yeah and then I've only got a printer that does eight and a half by 11 mm. right and I'm drawing image areas like 10 by 15 yeah right? so I have to print it out on two pieces of paper and then tape them together yeah right and then put that on the light box and then I put my drawing bristle on top of that thing that I've laid, I've taken all my sketches, all different sizes, resized them on Photoshop, printed it out, and then I trace out the actual size of everything. Oh right? boy! And, and, and I know where my work, word balloons are going to be, so I don't put a lot of detail in behind where the word balloons are. But one thing with the Grant script was it said right on the top of the first script something about warning: dialogue may change. Right. Like, okay. So I'm drawing full backgrounds here and putting word balloons on. Like Dave always did the lettering right on the artboard, right? So I figured, no, I'm going to do it on the computer, and that way I can move word balloons. If he's going to delete a word balloon, you get, you're going to see the background behind it now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, all the word balloons were done on the computer, and I did full backgrounds. Once I traced it out on the light box, then I had everything penciled full size the way it was going to be, and then I could just do my thing and do the inking and then the coloring. That's, that's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to open up the floor to the possibility of some questions from you guys. The first question was, other than reading the books Gerhard mentioned, did he have any other advice for self-teaching? Just draw every day, all the time. Draw, 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 draw. Like I said, in high school, that's all I did. When I was supposed to be taking notes, when I was supposed to be you know, paying attention in class, I had my head down and I was doodling. Just anything. Like Dave told me a long time ago, you have a thousand bad drawings in you. You have to get them out. And, and like, I would literally just throw them away. Don't, they're not precious. These are just getting your hand-eye coordination, you know, and then just get rid of them. Just doodle, draw, 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 and you'll get better. You will. <laughs> when you see other artists that you like, you know, if there's a certain style or a certain technique, try to copy it. Try to figure out how they did that. And again, it's just for your own personal benefit. You're not going to try to sell this or pass it off as your own. You're doing this to learn. Copy, emulate, see what works, and then, and then you just, it slowly becomes part of your, I used to call it my bag of tricks. 
especially doing a monthly book like that, right? There'd be a certain thing, you'd try something and you'll, and especially when it would come back in, in the printed form and you go look at it, because there were a lot of things I did that would disappear once it was reduced and printed on newsprint. It's like, okay, don't do that again, right? And then there were certain things where, hey, that worked. Okay, remember that. You know, do that next time. So you slowly build up this bag of tricks of techniques and things that work for you that become part of your style. <laughs> I recently learned that I thrive on boredom. Yeah. Like I got on hold and all of a sudden like I was having like the best ideas that I'd had in, in like years maybe. Right. right. And I was like, oh man, this is like in college when I was just sketching all the time. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like not right. as, you know, it just gets so much freeform when you are actively bored and fighting it. Right. It's yeah, so great. yeah. If I'm on hold, it's, just, it's just any piece of paper, any horizontal surface is going to have a doodle on it. Yeah. So Gerhard, you've done a lot of commissions. And, uh, You're responsible for most of that. Yeah, I, I, I've commissioned a few things, which has been a bit of a transition of working on a book where you're working with Dave and he's got a very unique vision where collectors probably a little bit all over the board around what they want and then going back to sort of Grant Morrison somewhere in the middle. Which do you like best? Do you like sort of the structured way of working? Do you like a more open way? And when you look at the next 10 years, what do you want to be doing? Okay, first of all, I do not miss the monthly schedule of doing a, a, of, of a comic book. I, would, I don't think I'd ever go back to, to doing that. I do prefer just doing a single large illustration. It's been very interesting and challenging and rewarding doing the Grant Morrison story and, and actually working out the layouts and, and everything on my own. But I think I consider myself more of an illustrator than, uh, than a comic book artist, right? And uh, yeah, so I still prefer taking my time uh, on a big lovely piece and, and lovingly rendering all those tiny little lines and, and at the end of it being able to go, ah, there, that, that worked, <laughs> rather than you know, trying to bang out a page as, big, as fast as you can because uh, you're on a schedule here. Or... I mean, you look at a piece like Gerhard Dreams, which I love because the perspective is so weird. Right. It's so great. And the first time I saw that, I was like, geez, he's like... Chris Van Allsburg on Overdrive. Like, I mean, I, I would love to see picture books by Gerhard, like things like that. I don't know if right. that's of interest to you, but that's Yeah, something like me. that, yeah. Like something with large full-page illustrations or, or something, yeah. People used to ask me what I was going to do once Cerebus was done, and my answer was always, nothing! And uh, <laughs> one thing I had considered doing was, uh, you're familiar with uh, Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein, right? Where he took mm. the Mary Shelley text and just did single full-page spot illustrations, and I thought, geez, I'd, I'd like, kind of like to do that with Moby Dick. And then started researching, you know, and stuff, and it's like, there's 57 volumes of uh, <laughs> illustrated Moby Dicks out there. It's like, we don't need another one. But that'd be the sort of thing I'd be interested in, is full-page spot illustrations, or like a picture book, like you yeah. said. Something like that would be pretty cool. No, the trick is right. getting paid for it. Right, yes. Always the <laughs> always, part. Always. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you know, people say, do what you love and you, you'll, you'll, you'll always love what you do. It's like, well, yes, that's very true, but I can make more money painting other people's bathrooms than I can doing what I love. It, oh, that's the best story. Shelly, my, my wife, her friend has a house painting business and Shelly was helping her out and she needed a little extra help one day painting this renovated, uh, beautiful old schoolhouse that somebody had renovated into their home, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'm up on this ladder. I'm like two and a half stories up painting the trim outside on this schoolhouse. And Michelle, Shelley's friend, had asked me, you know, so what's the deal with this comic sort of thing, right? <laughs> and so I was just sort of telling her, and the owner of the house came running around the corner. 
and he, comics, comics, you're talking about comics? It turns out he's a total comic geek, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I, I used to do a comic book. Really? Which one? Oh, you haven't heard of it. It's called Cerebus. He goes, oh my God, you're Gerhard, right? And he literally <laughs> falls to his knees and he does the I'm not worthy thing on his lawn. He's going, I, 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 Gerhard painting my house. And I, I'm going, what am I doing on this ladder? I should be at home at the drawing board. <laughs> so between that incident and uh, Shelley reading me her little story and, and me drawing that, that sort of kick-started me. And, and Charles got, got me doing conventions again. And it, like I said, done a, quite a few commissions for him. And so between those three, that, that's what got me back, back into drawing again. Well, let's talk about that. Like, hi, Charles. Uh, what's, how, how did you get Gerhard back into conventions again? What, what, what exactly went down? Um, you know, I guess for me, it was always looking at Gerhard's style when he was doing you know, Dave Sim. I always felt like Dave Sim had a lock on all of Gerhard's talent for 20-something years. <laughs> and I always looked at him and I said, you know, looking at something like the, the Bernie Wrights and Frankenstein plates, I always sort of envisioned that Gerhard would be able to do something of that same quality of detail, but he was always sort of chained to the Cerebus book. So when he freed up years later, you know, I sort of had this idea, and I had actually gotten, I guess, an inspiration from uh, a commission that somebody else had actually done, which is I'm a big Mike Zek fan, and somebody had taken a not-so-great Mike Zek's Punisher sketch, and Gerhard had transformed it from a really quick sort of uh, sketch that he had done to a masterpiece. He had added a, a background. He's got it in this table where he sort of shows the transformation. And that just got sort of clicked in my mind around, well, what if Gerhard was working with other folks outside of Dave Sim and could add that sort of same level of depth? And so I sort of a series of commissions getting him to work first, I think, on Herb Trippy and a, a Hulk Wolverine uh, sketch that I had sort of lying around that I bought from Herb, thinking, well, they're in the Canadian Rockies, why not get the greatest Canadian <laughs> Right on. <laughs> draw a Canadian background. Yeah. This sounds right. And it was, you think about it, Herb Trippy and Gerhard are probably not two names that you would associate with each other, mm -hmm. but it turned out great. And so then it was really sort of a, for me, it was let's let's see him do other things. And I think the the rights, and, so I got Bernie Wrights and did to give a, a, a rights, you know, sort of thinking, oh, well, this is my chance to combine the Frankenstein uh, with, you know, with that and see what Gerard can do with the Bernie Wrights and yeah, so he sent me a, a Bernie Wrightson penciled Swamp Thing in Arcane in a battle pose. Good grief. And he says, you know, <laughs> put, a, put a background on it. I want, uh, yeah. He sort of had this vision of Swamp Thing 10. The cemetery, yeah. And he goes, can, can you throw some zombies in there too? And I said, oh, sure. <laughs> and then, you know, and then he wants me to ink the whole thing. It's like, you want me to ink Bernie Wrightson's pencils? It's like, the, that, I said, you know, it's not going to look like Wrightson. He said, I don't want it to look like Wrightson. I want it to look like your stuff. So I had it all penciled wow. up, ready to go, and, and Shelley's got a, a shot of me on the drawing board with the pen hovering above Bernie Rice's <laughs> pencils going, I, 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 I can't, I can't do this, right? So I think I started with one of, I think I started with Arcane's toe, right? And I put the, the, the pen line on, there, I wrecked it, I might as well just do it all now, right? So <laughs> I think it turned out all right. Yeah, and then I think to get you back in the shows, I think we're up uh, in Toronto, I think I was up there with Mike Zek, actually helping Mike get back in the shows. I had Mike do a Craven piece and I wanted Gerhard to do the background and Gerhard just said, hey, I haven't been to a show in like 10 years, let me, let me go. And I think Gerhard, uh, Gerhard showed up and you guys had a fun time. Well, it was actually, it was the first convention I've actually been to as an attendee. I paid to get in. <laughs> I didn't have to sit behind a table all day, right? But when we were standing in line to buy tickets at the Toronto show, the, the uh, Shell and I were just talking and the guy in front just sort of turned around and said, oh, thank God, somebody's here that, that's my own age, right? We, so we just <laughs> were sort of joking and talking, and, and he asked, you know, what 
I guess he asked what sort of comics I'm into or whatever. And I said, well, I used to do a, a comic book. He's like, really, which one? Is, oh, you haven't heard it. It was a you know, small, independent, black and white. It's called Service. Oh, my God, you're Gerhard. And he reaches into his knapsack <laughs> and he pulls out his, his uh, sketchbook. Can you, can you sign my sketchbook? He's like, I'm in line to buy a ticket to go to the comic show. <laughs> but Charles got me invited to the Big Wow show in San Jose. And uh, Terry Moore was there, Strangers in yeah. Paradise. And actually, it was an awesome show. And after the show was done, they had all the creators to a local winery for a barbecue and wine tasting. I mean, how awesome is that? And uh, I was talking with Terry Moore, and I, I mentioned to him about, you know, that the response has just been great. The people that came up to the table and everything, and that I wasn't sure, you know, if anyone is going to remember who I am or what service was. And he goes, you have no idea what's going on, do you? I said, what? And he goes, everybody here, all the artists here are going, that's Gerhard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, come on. <laughs> So that's very cool. It's very, very cool. That's wonderful. And that Wrightson thing, very inspired. That's a, that's a really cool experiment to throw this dude's way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now you, you, you've done it again, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another guy that saw that and said, I must have my own. Yeah, so he's got the Bernie Wrightson penciled Batman piece that I'm going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm going to bugger up. Wow. <laughs> well, thanks, yeah. folks, for coming out and sticking around. And thank you. It's been, it's, it was thank fun. Thank you, Gerhard. This has yeah, been great. The first two chapters of Grant Morrison and Gerhard's The Smile of the Absent Cat can be found in issues 283 and 286 of Heavy Metal. Future editions are coming whenever Gare gets a script. Hopefully, it'll be compiled and collected someday for easy reading. We'll have links to Gerhard's website and where you can get Cerebus books, the art books Gerhard mentioned, and other pertinent stuff on this episode's page. If those links follow through to Amazon, anything you purchase there will help support this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network. And you can make sure all your purchases help us out by starting your shopping with our links at nerdyshow.com Amazon. Something I don't talk about much, if at all, on these shows is my own artwork because, well, usually it doesn't pertain to the conversation at all. But since I brought it up, I've also linked to my work on this episode's page, in case you're curious. And uh, also related to that, Heroes Con was the debut convention presence of Lightning Dogs, an animated series we're developing here on Nerdy Show, which I co-created and provides some of the writing and concept art for. It's about a pack of anthropomorphic dogs from another world trapped on a post-apocalyptic Earth battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire. It's inspired by some of our favorite pulp sci-fi adventures. We've got a sketchbook of all of our favorite concept art to date, which I'll link to, and if that premise sounds exciting to you, head to lightningdogs.com, where you'll find Lightning Dogs, the official podcast, a behind-the-scenes chronicle of our journey to animation. This show and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network are listener-supported, and not just via your Amazon purchases. If you like what we do, and you'd like to support us, please consider donating on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdyshow. Every little bit truly helps, and even a dollar a month gets you a ton of bonus content and early releases. At $5 or more, you'll get access to recent perks, such as another one of my Heroes Con 2017 panels, LGBTQ plus comics creators and characters featuring colorist Tamara Bonvillain, Bingo Love author T. Franklin, pop culture historian Michelle Nolan, Zora Gilbert, the editor of the anthology series Dates, and Brian Pittard of Flame On, the all-gay, all-geek podcast. If you're unable to contribute financially, totally understand, times are tight, but please consider rating and reviewing this show on iTunes. Or Podchaser. Podchaser is a new platform for podcast discovery, currently in closed beta. If you want to check it out, just head to podchaser.com and insert the code NERDY or NERDYSHOW for access. There, 
you'll not only be able to rate and review this show, but you can also rate specific episodes. So if you really enjoyed this episode, log on and let us know. We've got lots more info on how all of that works over at nerdyshow.com slash podchaser. And as we close out, there's something that I suppose is worth mentioning. There's a good chance that if you've heard of Dave Sim, what you've heard about him isn't very good. And it's true. The dude has some really awful, damning opinions of things. The reason I only bring this up now is for clarity. In case you've been wondering this whole time, Cap, how, how the heck can you, a queer person no less, love Cerebus in spite of Dave Sim? Well, this is a classic case of viewing art beyond the artist. I've read most of Dave Sim's comics work as well as a fair amount of his writings. To say that we disagree on some important social issues is an understatement. That doesn't change the fact that he's a genius in his craft, and Cerebus is a tremendously important work that, again, I wholeheartedly recommend. Even when his authorial presence encroaches on the book itself, his characters stay true, and it's a fascinating journey that I'm better for having gone on. And I realize I'm being somewhat vague, if you're unfamiliar with Dave, his beliefs, or the criticisms raised against him. Uh, the point is that it's not really an issue. If you're not familiar with any of this, then I invite you to read Cerebus and only dig deeper into Dave after the fact, if you want. And if you're familiar with all this, well, then hopefully this statement will offer some clarity on where I'm coming from. An example I use a lot when people ask me about being a fan of Dave Sim is this. Orson Scott Card, author of Ender's Game. That guy's a piece of shit. That asshole pumped his personal fortune into legislation that actively fought against equal rights and human decency. If you bought one of his books, you were basically funding a hate machine. Think of all those school book fairs actively giving money to lobbyists. But Ender's Game is one of the best books I've ever read. And in spite of Card's beliefs, it's filled with messages of acceptance and equality. And yes, if you haven't read Ender's Game, you should totally read it. But buy it from a used bookstore, because fuck that guy. But conversely, if you buy a copy of Cerebus, as far as I know, you're helping Dave Sim to eat. Dave lives a quiet life continuing to make art even after a wrist injury has made it so he might not ever be able to draw again. Best I can tell, his agenda stays very politely his own, and the art he continues to make remains ever fascinating. I'm a supporter of his Patreon and eagerly await his next project, The Strange Death of Alex Raymond. So hopefully that's cleared some things up. Maybe it made things a little bit worse. I don't know. Feel free to comment on this episode's page or start a conversation on the forums if you want more discourse on this. <laughs> but for now, that's all from me. Taking Us Out is a track performed by Chamber Band, something suitably brutal and bloodthirsty to reflect Cerebus's barbarian days. It's a cover of In the Coliseum by Tom Waits, as performed on Chamber Band's Hunger Games-inspired record, Careers. Chamber Band's long-awaited third record, Governor's Square, inspired by the work of H.G. Wells, will be available for pre-order August 28th and releases September 18th. You can hear their first two records, along with rarities, on Nerdy FM, our nerd music streaming service, at nerdy.fm, or via our app on Apple and Android. And uh, you can look forward to uh, more on Governor's Square in the months to come here on Nerdy Show. But for now, here's In the Coliseum. <laughs>
sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.